Well, good morning, everyone. If you will, grab your seat and grab a Bible, if you will. Grab a seat, grab a Bible, and let me invite you to take that card that was on your seat. Oh, no, I left my card on my seat. Well, grab that card. Do you have the card? Everyone grab your card. You got your card. Hold it up real high. I want to see that you've got one. Great, great, great. We are, as a church, walking through the Psalms this summer, all 150, not all on Sunday, only nine over the course of the nine Sundays of June and July, but all 150 during daily reading time. Just show of hands, uh, how many of you, if you've, if you've read any of the Psalms on your own, just out of curiosity, could you raise your hand? Let me see. Any, oh man, I love this. I love this. I love this. And so I'm going to invite you. If you've not been a part of it, that's okay. Jump in now. If you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just, just join us on the day that you are on. Because there's value in reading the Word of God, and I believe there's also value in God's people doing it together, because there's something about that that blesses us. Also, if you want to have access to it, not just on a piece of paper, but wherever you go, um, we have a sort of a digital version of this. You can use it as a background to your mobile device or your screensaver on your computer. Just text CC Guide to 94000. That's actually what I've done on mine. So I've got my June one here, which means when I wake up in the morning, I can look over and see what today's reading is. I just read it. And so it's a great opportunity to be able to follow along. Ready to read the word of God? Let's try that again. Anyone in here ready to read the word of God? Okay. So I'm going to invite you, go to the book of Psalms, way to get there. Basically, just open your Bible in half and you'll probably be in the Psalms. And join me in Psalm 13, Psalm 13. I want to warn you as we begin, it's not going to sound very cheery at first, but I promise if you'll stick with me, it ends on a note that is so beautiful and encouraging. I think you'll go away blessed, not because of the preacher, but because of the passage. And so Psalm 13 begins this way. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day after day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foe will rejoice when I fall. Verse 5, but, everyone say but, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for, say these last words with me, he has been good to me. Let's pray together. We confess with our mouths, but more importantly with our hearts, that you have been good to each one in this room. Whether we know you personally as Lord and Savior or not, the reality is no one in creation is beyond the goodness that you have extended through the gift of Jesus Christ. And for anyone who will simply say yes to you in baptism, they can experience new life. So, Father, you've been good to us. And whatever else is said this morning, may that be the one thing that remains on our minds. Now, please speak to us through these words that we may see clearly what you'd have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Show of hands, anyone in here have a, have a bad habit 
or ever had a bad habit. Anyone in here? Uh, okay, this isn't, this isn't as, as much as I was hoping. Let's do it this way. Um, if you're sitting near anyone that you know used to have or still has a bad habit, go ahead, raise your hand. You know someone around you who's had a bad, okay, now a little more honesty. I, I have a bad habit that I've been trying to break and I think I'm doing better, but every, every time I think I'm getting better at it, it, it kind of, eh, we have it happen again. Now, before some of you think, well, what is it? I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's, it's actually some words that I use I shouldn't use. Now, some of you are going, ooh, saucy. No, it's, it's not those. Here, here's the phrase, and in fact, if you've ever said this phrase or a variation on this phrase, can I just get some encouragement, help your preacher feel better this morning, and just raise your hand if you've ever said this phrase. Here it is. To be honest. Anyone else in here? Well, to be honest. Well, to be completely honest. Well, if I were to tell you the truth, any of you ever say something like that, to be honest? And so a friend takes you out and you have a meal and they say, what do you think? You're like, well, to be honest, it wasn't the best. What are you doing? You're trying to soften it by saying, well, to be honest, or, or this is a really dangerous one. Men, your, your wives come in and say, how do I look? And you say, well, to be honest, and you may say you look absolutely gorgeous. I mean, that's good. Here's the problem though. If you start that little phrase with to be honest, like if you're like, baby, to be honest, you're beautiful. Here's what she is thinking if you start with to be honest. Here it is. Next slide. I'm usually not honest. <laughs> so all those other times I said, how do I look? And you just told me without a little to be honest, what are you saying? Were you lying then or are you lying now? What do you do with this to be honest? I think this phrase is one we need to strike because it assumes some things. But underneath the phrase, there is this desire to have an open, honest relationship with someone, isn't there? I mean, come on, what little girl grew up, if she says, I want to get married one day, did she ever say, I want to grow up and I want to have a cold, shallow, closed off marriage? That just sounds so, mm, not a one. We want an honest, open relationship. In fact, I am utterly convinced that, next slide, honesty is the key to friendship. Real friends are honest. Isn't that true? That real friends are honest. You could measure the level of friendship by the level of honesty. And here's just a simple equation. Honesty equals trust. Honesty equals trust. If I trust you, I will be honest with you because I'm less afraid that you'll be upset because I know that you'll stay with me. But if I don't trust you, if I'm not sure that you'll stay with me, I may not be as honest. This is why I believe for most of us, we would agree with this little stat that it is easy to be honest with 90% of what we say, but really hard to be honest with 100%. Have you noticed this? It's real easy to tell 90% of the truth. It's that last 10% that'll get you in trouble with your parents. It's that last 10% that really reveals what's on your heart. It's that last 10% that takes you from an acquaintance, not to a friend, but this is like dearest friends. Because honesty is what makes relationships work. And so if I were to ask you this one question this morning, here's the big idea. I wonder how you'd answer. Don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. But here would be the question. Are you honest with God? Are you honest with him across the board where 
where what you think and what you feel is expressed to him? Do you have that level of trust in God that you can have that level of 100% honesty with him? See, I love Psalm 13 because in these six little verses, friend, David is giving you and me a master class on what it means to have a relationship with God. And I would even tell you that this will translate into other areas of our lives. That if you get this, you begin to understand how relationships work. But David's going to say in six verses, this is how you have the kind of honest, trusting, whole life relationship with God. And it comes in three, I believe, very unexpected and surprising places of honesty. He's going to break it up. Two verses for each one of these. So verse one and two, he says, if you want a deep relationship with God. If you want to be close to God, then be honest with God in your pain. Be honest with God in your pain. Did you notice the very first line in this psalm? It is, how long? How long? In fact, notice he doesn't just say how long, but go two slides ahead. He says, how long, Lord? So here's the interesting thing. He is speaking to God. He's not just, he's not just expressing life. He is expressing his pain to God. Now, this is so interesting to me. He's telling me something and you something that I think we forget in our very culture or comfort culture of America, which is we don't expect to experience pain, especially if we follow Jesus. Now, I know we don't say that, but hear someone go through a difficult time and they sound shocked by it, don't they? Or, or I'll go through a hard time and I'm like, what's happening? The toast is burnt. Something really big like that. It's like, why, God, do you not love me? You go through some struggle, some small thing or big thing. We do not expect problems. But hear me now, David, a man who was called a man after God's own heart, went through pain. And by the way, I love Jesus, but no one has called me a man after God's own heart. Has anyone called you that? No? So if David, Mr. Man after God's own heart is experiencing pain, how much more can we expect it as well? By the way, let's talk about David's pain. David was despised by his brothers. David's daddy forgot about him. You remember that little moment, don't you? The prophet Samuel comes, I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel. It's one of your sons. Jesse, bring your sons in. Jesse goes, oh, here they are. He forgot David. How did that make you feel? King Saul wants to kill David. One of David's wives, yes, wives, we'll talk about that later. One of his wives is embarrassed by him. One of David's sons tries to usurp him. David experienced pain. And if David did, so will you. And now David is going to say, friends, there are three different flavors of pain. Three different types that he experiences. Notice these words, Lord, thoughts, heart, and enemy. There are three types of pain that he expresses here. The first one is pain with God. The second one is pain with ourselves or personal. And the third is with other people or social pain. God, I feel like you've abandoned me. All that I thought, all that I knew about you is being called into question. I am having pain with God. Isn't it true that sometimes it's not just the pain you experience in life that's hard. It's the theological pain of weight. I don't know how this works with what I believe about God. And then there are other moments, your thoughts, what you think about, or your heart, your emotions. Man, there's just pain. Is it true that sometimes we carry the greatest weight of pain in the dark hours of night? And then for many of us, we're dealing with pain from other people, our enemies, or people who treat us like enemies. Or I thought you were my friend. 
but just stab me in the back. So God, personal and social. And David is going to express to us that it's okay to express our pain. Now here's the reality. If you do not, if you do not express your pain, it will cripple you. If you do not deal with your pain, it will cripple you. In fact, all of us with our pain, it will spill over the brim of the cup of our life onto one of three groups of people. In fact, put this up. If you ignore your pain, you'll spill, it'll spill out on yourself. That's the first one. And many of you know what this is like. You have chronic health issues because you're stressed out. You're constantly bottling it up. You are trying to be Superman. And guess what? Superman is a comic book character, not real. And so you bottle it up, you try to deal with it yourself, and so you deal with health issues as a result of it. And others of you, you bottle it up, but instead of just health issues, you harm yourself. Some of you cut yourselves. There are others in here, you go to the bottle to anesthetize the pain, or you go to the computer and you look at things you shouldn't look at, or you go to other activities. What are you doing? If you ignore the pain, it will spill out onto yourself. Now, if you don't put it on yourself, here's the other extreme we often go to. We don't put it on ourselves. We like to share it with others. It's so much fun having this pain. Let me give it to you all. And so you experience what we call kick the dog syndrome. Anyone know what that is? Have you ever heard of this? No? Okay, let me explain it to you. Kick the dog syndrome. You have a boss or you have someone who's bigger than you, more powerful than you, in charge of you, has some authority over you, and they do something that hurts you. They insult you in front of your coworkers. They do not understand what you're saying. They take credit for what you've done, whatever it is. You can't do anything to them, so you go home and you've got Fido the dog. Fido's smaller, so what do you do? You feel better. What do we say in recovery groups? Hurt people, hurt people. If you don't deal with what's inside, it'll come out either hurting you or it'll hurt someone else. And, and friends, neither of these are good options. But David in Psalm 13 gives you and me permission to deal with our pain in a wonderful way because it's not just deal with it yourself or put it on others, but notice the last one, it will spill out onto God. And here's the beautiful thing from this passage. God is saying, I have big enough shoulders to carry what you're holding. Put it on me. Let me carry the weight of what you're worried about. Let me carry the insult that you've received. Let me take the disappointment on. You let me have it. In fact, he invites it. You say, where in the text is he invited? Well, elsewhere in 1 Peter 5, 7. I love what Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he writes this of Jesus. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, you've got options. And your pain, it's going to go somewhere. Friends, we have a generation of young men who are angry and they don't know where to place their anger. You don't believe me? Watch the news. Do you see what's happening? Not around the country. I'm talking about in our own backyards. It's because we have not pointed them to the only one who can carry the weight of their pain. 
And as long as we look to other people to solve the problem or we say, well, we'll fix it ourselves, we will be a culture crippled by pain. But God says, you lay your pain on me. You cast it on me. I'm big enough. I hold the very foundation of the universe in the palm of my hand. I can carry the weight of what you're going through. So David says, if you want an honest relationship with God, it begins by being honest with God about your pain. And then he says, now... Be honest with God in your prayer. Verse 3 and 4, he begins to speak a prayer to God, but notice how he does not begin the prayer. Do you notice the very first words of his prayer? Look on me and, what's that word, church? One more time. Quick question, does that sound real respectful? Yeah. I mean, how do we typically start our prayers in the church? It starts usually with two words, dear Lord, God, Father, right? You can just kind of throw any of those in. Or maybe if you're like one of those really young, hip Christians, it's dear daddy. That's a weird feeling to me, but okay. So you start off with a dear God or maybe Lord God. Or if you grew up in the church like I did, it's our Father. And if you really want to go old school, who, what? Okay, we grew up in the same church. Awesome. That's how you start a real prayer. You don't start with, look on me. Answer. This feels weird. Listen, I never spoke to my daddy this way growing up. Did any of you? Like if I, if I like spoke to my father like that growing up, I, I'd have been put in timeout. And by the way, my generation's version of timeout is you get hit hard enough, you're knocked out for a little while. That's timeout. So to say that now to God, it feels disrespectful. But notice, notice, he is respectful because he says, Lord, my God. He gets right to the point. He doesn't play around. See, God is not surprised by your thoughts or your feelings because he already knows every one of them. So why not tell him the truth? God, if you don't answer, I'm in trouble. Help me. Talk to him as the all-powerful, all-knowing, loving God that he is, which means you speak to him the truth. You don't try to pretty up your words. You simply tell him what's going on. I was speaking to a lady after the first worship, and she said, and I'm trying to paraphrase, she made the statement. She says, when I don't know what to say, I just say, this is a mess, isn't it? That's it. That's a great prayer. It's a mess, isn't it, God? Help. Can we be honest instead of feeling like we got to put on the church clothes prayer for God? He already knows what you're experiencing. And here's the beauty of it when you're honest with your pain and when you come to him in prayer and say, help, look at me, answer me. You are not being disrespectful. You are being honoring because you believe he's big enough to handle everything, including the raw emotion you feel. Now, some of us, the first time you do this, will feel weird. Some of you are going, I ain't doing that. First time I prayed like this, I felt very awkward. In fact, it's like I wanted to get in a rubber suit in case he like shot me with a lightning bolt. It's like, bounces off. Ha ha. I I mean, I just, I was nervous. So what I do, I go to the text and I simply quote scripture to God. God, look on me, answer. Give light to my eyes. And then if you're really nervous after that, you can then kind of add this little phrase. David said that first, God, so if you're mad, please be mad at him, not me. I'm just quoting your boy. But tell him 
the truth. There is great power in being honest with God about what's on your heart. In fact, throughout history, people have done that. They've taken the words of the text, made it their own, and reformed it into music to speak to where they are. I'd like to share with you a new song this morning. I'm going to invite our team up. While they're getting ready, let me, let me kind of explain this to you. There's a young man named Nathan Hale, goes by Nate Hale. He's currently the youth minister at the Madison Church of Christ north of Nashville. But in 2004, he was a freshman at Lipscomb University. And he was going through just a, a tough season. Now, his family, they've gone through a lot as a family. His mother was diagnosed and has MS. She's a lovely woman. I had the privilege of getting to know her while in Nashville. And Nathan, he had cancer for a while. Young man. But in this particularly dark season, he was wrestling with, is there a God and does God love me? And is God really there? And is God going to take care of things? And in God's providence, at Sunday night church, they opened the word of God and there was this passage from Psalm 13 and it connected with him so much so that he took those words home and the next day he began to play it and rearrange it in a way that spoke to what he was feeling, the pain and the prayer. A mutual friend of ours heard it and said, hey, would you be willing to maybe sing that this Thursday night? There's a college gathering that happened once a week and at this gathering, over five, 600 students would gather and they began to sing this song. And over the course of a number of years, even after all those who'd been in the class had graduated out, they would still, this was the number one song that was requested. And one of the nights when they sang the song, someone I know came with the intent of killing himself. They just had enough. But then they heard this song, Psalm 13. And through the beauty of what God allows us to do, to be honest with what's on our heart, to this day, this person is still with us. So I invite you to listen, join in, as we hear again Psalm 13, rephrased by Nathan Hill.
And when I'm in pain, it is so easy to forget this. I don't know if you've ever had this moment, maybe in a relationship. It could be a romantic one like a marriage or maybe it's a family relationship with kids or maybe it's someone else. But I don't know if you had this moment where you get a little sideways with someone and you begin to have that personal conversation with yourself about the person. Have you ever had a conversation about someone else by yourself? Anyone else? And this is what I would have said. And I would have done it this way and zip them this way. And then I might drop, walk off. They'd be crying. I'd be like, serves you right, right? Now, don't pretend like you haven't done that. I've done this with my wife on more than a few occasions. I'm so embarrassed by it when I get upset. And I'll, I'll start thinking these things. Well, she just doesn't care. She just doesn't know or she just doesn't. And it's this toxic moment where I have forgotten the one that I love and who loves me. And there's this beautiful little trick, this little hack, this truism of life that then instead you start to go, no, 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 that's not. She loves me. She takes care of me. She puts up with me. Oh, thank you, Lord. She puts up with me. It is a reminder to myself of that relationship. Now, friends, as great as my wife is and as great as the relationships are that we have on earth, not a one of them compares to the faithful love of God. Amen. So we don't say, you're good, God. And he's like... I almost forgot. We say, he is good. Even in the pain, he is good. See, here's the reality. I'm tempted to forget God's goodness when I'm in pain. And then I will begin to not trust him because I'm not sure that he's trustworthy. But do you notice the passage? Next slide. He goes on to say this. My heart rejoices. I will sing. Notice will. It's not I think, I feel, it's choice. I will sing to the Lord. See, immature Christians allow their feelings to dictate what they do. Mature Christians do what is right and their feelings follow. I will sing the the Lord's praise. And then he gives this beautiful reason why. He says, I trust, look at this, but I trust in your unfailing love. Hey, you're doing great, Rachel, I apologize. (laughs) This little phrase here, unfailing love, is the Hebrew word chesed. Everyone say chesed. It's a great word. You can kind of clear your throat. It's outstanding. It's this one little word, but it has two deep meanings. Chesed does not refer to the emotional love of God. It refers to the committed love of God. David is saying, I trust your love because I've seen the evidence of it. You've been committed to me even when I was not worthy of being committed to. Anyone else say amen to that? Because of the Hesed 
love of God, even when I don't feel that he's present. I can be honest with you, God, but I know you're still there and I'm choosing to trust it. Friends, I just want to ask, what has God done for you that you can look back and say he's faithful? What are those moments in your life, or better yet, in the broader life of this community, you go, I've seen him at work. I saw him at work. I can trust him even when I hurt, and I can now have this relationship. I'll be honest with him, and I'll be honest with myself, and the trust in my relationship with God will grow. Where have you seen that he has been relentlessly truthful, faithfully committed to you? See, King David could do this from the history of Israel, but friends, David did not have what you and I have. He did not have the person of Jesus. He did not have the story of the cross. He did not know that there would come a day when God would come in bodily form, take on the weight of Satan, sin, and death, die for you and me. We have that. But although David didn't know it, he actually points to it. I want to show you one last thing in this verse. Because after he says, but I will trust in your unfailing love, he then says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. That phrase, your salvation, is one Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. The Anglicized version is Joshua, but the Greek version of that word is Jesus. Here in the midst of pain, in the midst of prayer, saying, I got to remember, I need to hang on. I need to know that he is trustworthy. I will be honest and he'll be honest. He drops in the middle there the name of Jesus. The reason we are trusting in him, the reason you can be honest is because God has been honest with you. You're a sinner. You need a savior. I've sent the one who can save and I will make sure that you come home safely. There will be tears along the way, but I've made the way. And so for all here this morning, if you want a deeper relationship with Jesus, it begins with being honest. Tell him what you're feeling, be honest. Pour out your heart and then be courageous enough to be honest with yourself that our God loves you and has been faithful even when we have been faithless. And if you look just closely enough, you may, just even the pain of your moment, you may see Jesus even in the midst of it as we see in this text. So I'm going to invite you to pray. Let's talk to him for a moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I won't embarrass you. You know me better than that. But I want to invite you to simply talk to the Father. What is it on your heart that you need to let go of? Pour it out. He knows every word that's already on your mind. He knows every emotion on your heart. Be courageous enough just to tell him the truth for once. And then we need to have a conversation, not just telling him how worried we are, but we need to then pray. See, in prayer, you are actually expressing trust, but you're going to him for a reason. What do you need? Tell him now. For some in this room, we need to join a community of strugglers who have found the one who can save and just lock arms. Some of you, the reason you're worn out and tired is you don't have a family to go alongside you. We want you to change that today. Don't go this world alone. 
the Lord gave you a church for your benefit and for their benefit, join in. And for others in this room, you need to say yes to Jesus. Because this morning, you don't have a rescuer. But you can, through the blood of Jesus, by putting him on in baptism, confessing him as Lord and Savior, and saying, I trust you with all that I am and all that I have. So now, Father, every heart is open. We come to you now thanking you for hearing us, the pain, the prayer, and yes, the praise. As a result, may we be changed and more like you and more more in love with you. We thank you for hearing us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior that we pray. Amen.